What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. So, yep, I'm in the thick of it, and I'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of fathers to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend, Chad Hankel. We have an incredible conversation. He gets vulnerable and raw quickly, shares stories from his life that have helped him to be present as a husband, as a father, as a man. One statement that he made is learning to leverage the darkness into light. My friends, enjoy meeting my friend, Chad. Oh my gosh, my friends, I'm already grinning ear to ear. Super psyched to be hanging out with Chad Hankel. Chad, what's up, bro? Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes. What's up, Ned? I'm so pumped to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. Yeah, dude, I got chills right now. So, you know, you and I are both in superhuman fathers. I don't know how long you've been in. I've been in for over a year. And, you know, you jump on these calls and there's dudes sharing and you're getting to hear wisdom. And every time you speak, it seems as though people really just jump in and listen to what you have to say, because there's depth there. There's wisdom there. Was that always the case? Or did some of that come through your transformation, your like physical transformation? Yeah, I don't think it was always the case. Because I think what was like a common theme for me is I moved a lot as a kid. At one point, I moved like 100 times. Like, that's not even an exaggeration. I was like house to house, state to state. I don't even know. But I counted it when I was 19. And I was like, I can't believe I moved that many times. So I had to become a chameleon. And what that means is you see like a shell of me, but you don't really get to know me. And so everything was super surface. And because it was surface... I didn't really expose myself or like let myself be known intimately by anyone. You can only get to a certain level and then it's a stop. And it's like, no, you don't get here. So like when I joined Superhuman Fathers, the thing that changed for me is I learned how to embrace certain parts of myself that I was uncomfortable revealing. And this process really started much earlier, but this is where I started using it as a way to leverage myself and other men to be vulnerable in large groups. I'm trying to model what it's like to not only other men, but also to my children, you know, and not act like I have it all together. Like I got it all figured out. That was the old me. Dude, I don't know nothing except for what I've lived. That's it. And even that is up for discussion. You know, I'm like flexible. Not, might not be right, you know. But oh, like see, I'm, that's that's cool because the story that you're telling yourself about maybe something that happened, like you could reframe that depending on what it is that you're talking about. Oh, thousand percent. When I'm talking with guys, like I want to know the traumas and I want to know the darkness because until we're there, man, what are we talking about? <laughs> like, like if you can't be known in that way and really expose yourself to another human and just say like, here I am, boom, judge me or whatever you want, but I'm okay with me. It's so hard. So yeah, like certain things that happen to me for me, you know, I think things happen for me, but like 
when those things happened for me, at first I had a narrative and that narrative evolved. It just took time to understand the evolution because where it started and where I ended two different places. Yeah. Oh, dude, beautiful. We're going to get into that. Now, I do just want to jump right out the gate and just celebrate this real quick. Tell me, because it's so amazing, your transformation when you did Superhuman Fathers. You probably get sick of talking about it, but it's so inspiring to hear a dude go, this is what I weighed. And then after this is what I weighed. What was that difference right there? Yeah, it was basically like over 100 pounds, man. I I was walking around. (laughs) It's wild, bro. Yeah, like 290 some odd pounds, depending on what the day was. And then I cut all the way down to 191. Bro. Wow. Bro. Yeah. Tell me when people ask you about it, what are the couple things you say? Hey, this is what's important. You know, like, oh, how'd you do it? Whatever, whatever. What is it like the quick 10, 15 second words of wisdom you give to somebody who's like, I want to go after this? What do you tell them it takes? For me, it became buying into the concept of a process versus an end result. Mm. I think a lot of people are like, when I started, bro, I only wanted to lose like 20 or 30 pounds. Like I didn't even know the assignment. Like seriously, I was just <laughs> yeah. I didn't know the assignment. I didn't know I was going all the way to 190, dude. I had no clue. But what happened was I started on the path, and then I realized very early, oh, this is a process about quick forgiveness. That's what it's about for me, and that's my life. What's something that's really been a tool set for me is just understanding that this idea of quick forgiveness and shutting myself of toxic shame. It's felt so good to share that with others. You know? Yeah, dude, and how wild! How wild is it that we could go learn that with food? or missing a workout. You know what I mean? It's like people see the pictures on Instagram of all these different things that are out there. But superhuman fathers, you're like, shit, I want a six pack. That's amazing. And then what you're really wanting is you're wanting to forgive yourself quicker. You're wanting to not fall into a rut for weeks and months and years. And that can all be learned through these daily disciplines of putting together a plan, knowing that you're probably going to fail. When you fail, don't go into two weeks of binging go into 20 minutes or two days or one day, continue to shorten that and then not live in shame. Uh, Dude. Okay. I'm going to jump into some questions for you. All right. Chad Hankel, how old do you find yourself today? I feel like I'm 17 in my brain, but I'm 41. 41. Love it. And uh, how many years you've been married? I've been married 17 years, man. Dude. Kudos, bro. Kudos. And then how many kiddos do you have? I have five kiddos. And what's the age range? Man, so it goes from, I have a 16-year-old daughter, a 14-year-old son, a 12-year-old son, my daughter, which, you know, we can get into this a little bit, but my daughter would be eight, but she passed away when she was almost three. And my youngest son is two, a little over two. He just turned two in July. Dude, you got the spread, bro. Are you done or what? Yeah, we're done. Why <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely done as well. So yeah, there's definitely glory there for sure. Dude, yeah. that's awesome, bro. So we have five kids as well, ages 10 is my youngest and 17 is my oldest. We've got twins in there. So similar, we don't have the youngers quite anymore. You hit the cheat code, Ned. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it did steal two years of our life that we don't remember, but but I'll take it now. We call it the dark year when the twins were born. Okay, so what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living to provide value out in the world? So I like to just consider myself a connector. I like to connect with people. 
But what I do for my career is I'm in business development and sales for a digital marketing agency. That's what I've been doing basically 12 years. Okay, cool. And then where does your family reside? Where do you guys live? So we are in the thriving metropolis of Meridian, Idaho. Not just right outside of Boise, Idaho. Nice. My daughter and I were just, one of her friends is going to Boise State. So we were just watching some videos the other night. We were on a date and then we were in the car just watching videos of Boise State. So you know what it was like. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really nice town. It's cool. Hopefully, uh, if you ever get convinced to leave the tropical paradise, make your way over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah man. Gene and we can check stuff out. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, when did you embrace fatherhood? You've got a 16-year-old down to a two-year-old. At what point did you go, man, this really matters and I want to lean into this role? Wow. That's a great question. Well, I think family is a huge focus of my faith and why we do what we do. I really do believe that families are forever. And so this concept has been taught to me since I was a young boy. But to be honest, there was like many years where I just felt like I was living, but I wasn't living, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. It's like, I was alive, but I wasn't living. Maybe like that, because I felt like I was so inadequate as a father. Like I didn't know what it meant to be a father. I think I'm even still learning what it means to be a father. And it took time for me to like settle into this because there was a point where I just felt like I wasn't cut out to be a dad. It just felt like I was kind of just broken. I just felt like I was a broken person walking around and all my shame, all my vices, all these things that are happening. And I'm like, oh, man, if I could just hit the escape button right now, that would be great. That would be great. So, you know, when I really embraced it, it was just through my darkest moments is when I started embracing fatherhood and understanding like what I really had before me was incredible opportunity to make impact for generations. Yes. That's yeah. huge. So two questions. One is, what do you think gave you the insecurity of, you use the word inadequate, but I feel like a lot of us men are walking around feeling inadequate to lead our homes, to be fathers. What would you say gave you that sense of inadequacy? Well, I think early on in my life, I carried around so much toxic shame from what I was exposed to as a child, being molested as a child, bro. Like you just carry a certain amount of trauma with that. And you're trying to figure out like, well, first of all, how do I even like unravel this? Because you don't even understand it when you're a child. And most people don't understand it as adults. So like, what do you so it's kind of one of those things where I think what I found was I started really working on my personal development by going to 12-step programs that are designed for lust and different things like that. And that's where my journey really started in, in releasing shame is because I was so stuck inside myself. I was so medicated with pornography and food and all these lust-based addictions that was just like more and more and more. And you, dude, I couldn't consume enough at times. What it did is it created a double life in me. There's still times, Ned, like this is so silly to talk about, but it's perfect because I don't want to say this, <laughs> but I have to because it's so true. Like there's still times I'll go into the pantry and almost feels like I'm sneaking food. Why, why am I doing that? You know, yeah. and I think because of that 
that pattern that I had established for so many years that I haven't broken out of just giving myself permission to be imperfect, perfectly imperfect. Yes. Dude, I love the um, you giving yourself permission. I feel like so many men are looking around to get permission from somebody to live their life. So the first thing you said is the inadequacy. So you talked about that insecurity came from shame. But then you talked about this idea of multi-generation, like your impact is going to basically go beyond your life. Was there a key moment in your personal development where that kind of clicked for you that this personal development isn't just for today? It's for 100 years from now. Yeah, I'm not even sure I would even frame it that way because like for me, it's become so apparent to me, especially within the last five years, that right now is all that really matters for me. Mm. Like that's mm. it. Someday someone will say my name for the last time. I don't yeah, know when. Yeah, that wild? That's so crazy. Man. Someone said my name for the first time. <laughs> Someone's going to say it for the last time. And I don't know when that is. But what I do know is right now I have an opportunity. And what I realized was five years ago, it was like a Friday afternoon. And I had the voice come to me and say, Chad, go home and spend time with your family. Mm. And I did not do it. Mm. I didn't do it. In fact, I went and watched a movie. <laughs> like, it's just, just like... <laughs> I'm not cut out to be this man. Like, I'm not, I'm not him. Well, come to find out, man, like that night I get home, it's late. My daughter comes out of her room, this little two-year-old daughter. She's so beautiful. And it's almost like she had a nightmare. I thought she did, I think, and maybe she did. But she came out of her room and she was just kind of sad and crying. And I didn't know what was going on, but like time progressed and it was clear that she was very sick. It was clear that she was progressing, getting hotter, not being able to keep her fluids down. And I'm just trying to hold her all night. This is not my first rodeo. I had no idea what was happening to her. But what I realized is very quickly, she started passing out and her face was turning blue. And then she would come back. So my wife and I are like freaking out, trying to figure out like, what the heck do we do? It's in the middle of the night. We call my wife's mother. She comes over. She's with the kids and we're going to the hospital. Long story short, they do some tests and determine that she needs to go to the pediatric intensive care unit in Boise. And what we were not prepared for was basically once we got there and we were comforting her and again, she was coming in and out of consciousness. And then we had a Christian doctor who is just this tall man with this beard. His name is Derek. We call him Dr. Derek. Some people call him Dr. Jesus because he looked like <laughs> Jesus, bro. <laughs> I asked this doctor, I said, Dr. Derek, is my daughter going to make it? And uh, he said, your daughter, her condition is very serious. We are going to fight. We're going to give her every chance. And it felt hopeful. Like it mm -hmm. felt hopeful. But yeah. bro, when I walked into that hospital, man, it was my worst nightmare because I felt so unworthy as a father to be in this position. Like I didn't even feel like I could pray. I didn't even feel like I could pray over her and bless her in a way that would be ratified by God. I felt so unprepared for this moment and helpless, clearly. Things with my wife and I weren't great. You know, like I didn't have a great marriage or anything like that. It felt broken too. <laughs> so I'm just like, what is going to happen? So bro, this, this like progressed over a couple of days. She went, she had kidney failure. She was on life support. She took her last breath and I walked out of that hospital 
feeling connected to God, feeling connected to my wife, feeling connected to myself for the first time. And I felt almost like all these prayers from people were like lifting me up, like the power of prayer, like blessed me huge in the hospital. But I walked out without my daughter, you know. The thing that's so wild about that, this concept of the walk, is usually when someone passes away in a hospital, they have procedures and policies of who can bring who where. It just became apparent to me that I needed to be the one to bring her to the morgue. It was the last thing I could do, and they made an Mm. exception for me to do that. Wow. Wow, bro. That's heavy. It is heavy, man. The amount of burn in my arms was unreal because it felt like we were walking forever. And I just let it burn. I just let it burn. Burn as hard as you can because this is the last time. This is it. And then I'm going to put her down and I won't ever talk to her again, potentially, until we meet again. This is it. So this is my last act of service as a father. All of this was sinking in as I was taking each step is just the burn got brighter and brighter. And in a way, and, you know, looking back, it was almost like it was the start of a cleansing for me as a, as a dad, this burn that happened in my arms, I would get reconnected with it later, but not before I went darker. And then things got worse. And I let go of myself. And I said, I don't ever want to feel that again. That's reserved, special territory. And I kind of just drank the poison of like, if I feel that, it's going to be because I'm holding her again and I'm not going to feel that ever again. And so I made almost like this covert contract with myself and God. (laughs) You know, it wasn't covert with God, I guess, but it was covert with anyone else. Like nobody else knew, but God knew. So I don't know, man, long story short, I got to this place where I had accepted what had happened and it's punching the roof of my vehicle or screaming at God and just like, what, you know, like, why is this happening? This is the process, bro. It was the process. God was turning me into something different and it just took some time to figure that out and My transformation, the thing that was early on in my transformation is I was encountering lactic acid like no other. (laughs) And I was having so many emotions. I was crying in the weight room, man. Like I was like, what is going on with homeboy over here? You know, like he is not well. (laughs) But it was so good because I was able to reconnect that feeling with her and realize like, oh, when I'm feeling that now, I'm feeling her now. Mm. And it's about really like leaning into this idea of now. And wow. like the rest has really progressed from there. Like I have a whole philosophy around, you know, what it means to be in the now now. Whereas before it was like an incomplete puzzle. Like it was missing some pieces and I just couldn't make sense of it. So what does that mean then how to be in the now now? Well, the now now is basically like the way I think about it is this straight line. Okay. If you hold the line, you're in the now. And like the thing is, is we're all human. So we're going to deviate into the past or into the future. And we're going to basically have these kind of ripples that go along the now. And I think the problem is most people don't understand that they are living their last, their last moments every single time they breathe. Wow. 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 So when I think about it like that, There was this moment because we're bottle feeding the little man and our little two-year-old had to like abruptly wean him. But it kind of like, it made me sad because I was like, oh man, he had his last bottle. And I didn't know this then, but like that night, 
was my last night snuggling with a daughter. But I didn't know that. I didn't know the previous night was the last night I read to her. So like there's all these moments where we're like living the last time and we don't even realize the last time was like, when was the last time that you threw your kid in the pool? There's going to be a last time. Like my kid's now 165 pounds, man. I can't even pick a meat. You know, he's huge. (laughs) Yeah. Like there was a last time for that. And, you know, like really settling into that presence and just saying like, dude, Mm. this this might be the last time. And it's somewhat of a mental gymnastic game because it almost feels like you're creating some kind of thing that isn't maybe being more dramatic than it really is. But the thing is, when you have a child pass away, it starts to rearrange the deck and how it's stacked and how you need to play the game. Yeah. You have this real life scar that is a reminder of being present. And it's like communicating that to somebody who hasn't lost a child or hasn't had to go through that and having them choose to be as present as you can be because of the loss that you've experienced. It's like we want people to learn from our stories versus having to go live through some of the pain. Yeah. Well, and the beauty is, Ned, everybody has an equivalent story for them. You don't have to have a child leave you early. You don't have to have that to like understand the presence of True. now. Yeah. But you do have to come to grips with what that is and get and speak life into it. Because if you can't speak life into what has happened, there's no way to really leverage that darkness into light. It just stays mm. dark. Yes. Leverage the darkness into light. So let me ask you your opinion on this. And I I won't give you my opinion yet. When people say like everything happens for a reason, what's your opinion on that? Everything happens for a reason. Hmm. It's a really, uh, it's like a really cheap version to a long book. (laughs) That reason, like it feels like there's miles in between the R and the E and the A and the S and the O and the N. Like there's just so much Mm. in that word that really hard to capture with that phrase. I think everything happens for a reason, I guess. But also like the reason... So I don't. I I don't. I mean, you keep going, but like you you ended it with this, I guess, like a question. I think we make this statement to people all the time. And I heard a friend say this on a podcast once because somebody, and he just called him out. He's like, I actually don't think that. I've seen too much bad shit to think that this stuff happens like on a purpose. But the statement you said, which you can expand or we could move on, but the whole Romans 828, something along the lines of, you know, good happens to those, or I should know this, who trust in the Lord. But Your statement, leverage the darkness into light. That to me, because to say, hey, this happened to you for a reason. Your daughter passed for a reason. Like that just seems like Christianese shit that we speak to people. And I don't know why I disagree that this happened. Like, oh, I need Chad to know me better. So I'm going to have his daughter pass away. Like that doesn't make sense. That doesn't sound like a good dad to me. Life happens. Like literally life just happens. And we have a choice though of how we're going to operate from it, which your statement was so beautiful to me. That's why I bring this up. Is like leveraging the darkness into light removes you from being a victim and living a sad sob story forever which you are a victim to something bad that happened, but it's not controlling how Chad shows up. 
Yeah. And yeah, so I and just, I, dude, I love that statement. Yeah. And I think part of the challenge for us as fathers is we get to choose the narrative that is happening. That is not something that's pushed down onto us. And we have to accept that something bad happened and therefore this is bad. And this means that God hates me. And this means that, you know, X, Y, Z, we get to choose the narrative. That's my belief, you know, is yep, like, yep. I think everything happens because there are natural consequences to everything. There are natural consequences. It's natural that when someone gets sick and they have some type of immune system deficiency that was unknown, it's normal that they go into sepsis. It's normal that they get put on life support and it's normal that they pass away. And that's not unique. But the way that mm. I get to meaning to all of that and live that and learn from that, I can leverage it into dark or light. Right. It's your choice. Like you get to choose. So dude, I just, I mean, I think this statement is like leverage it, leverage the darkness into light. And just so my mom doesn't disown me, Romans 8, 28 is, and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I think that just goes to, because I've always struggled with that. But I think it's like, if I choose the creation, I choose good versus I choose chaos, chaos, darkness, creation, light. So with that, let me ask you this. If somebody was going through a similar situation, how, whether you did or didn't do it well, how would you recommend supporting the siblings and your spouse during that time? Like if, if a man was finding himself in a situation where their family was really grieving like this? Well, this is all going to happen in phases. And I can tell you what doesn't work. <laughs> What doesn't work is not that we didn't talk about it. It's just that like, even my son, like I was surprised to learn that he took on some of that responsibility for this, that he got her sick and he thought that it was his fault for like a year. So it's kind of like a good time to rally the troops and say like, look, we get to be honest about how we feel and it's okay to be, it's okay to be upset. Yeah. But we yeah. can't stay upset. There's certain things, I guess, there's different vibrations that we can choose. Like grief is the lowest vibration of all, bro. Like it's the lowest. And it's also, be, that's why like, it's not experienced full time. Grieving is not, in my experience, I don't know. So I can't speak for humanity. In my experience, grief comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. And in some ways, I don't even get to choose it. I can just tell sometimes like, man, I need to cry. I haven't cried for a while and I'll just make the decision to like lean into that. And that's what like relieves me. So like when a rabbit that's gets good. chased in the woods, this is the difference between humans and animals. A rabbit gets chased by a coyote, escapes, goes inside the bush and basically starts to shake. And it shakes, shake, 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 shake. And then it kind of almost like rattles itself back in and then it's off to jumping rabbitville again. That's how animals deal with grief. That's it. That's how they do a trauma is they shake, right? So like as humans, we have such complex brains that like sometimes we're not giving ourselves that chance to be not okay. Like let's yeah. just put that yeah. way, right? Like, it's almost like we feel like as fathers, we need to come in and rescue the day and pretend that we got it all Oof. figured out. Yeah, be yeah, yeah. Person and not let our kids cry because that would show weakness and we need to be strong right now because no one else is. Dude. I'm rebelling against that idea, 100%. I'm not interested in that type of fathering because that's not real. And I need my kids to see a model of what it looks like 
when a man is vulnerable. Dude. Like, what, what is it like to not have it together? I'm talking to my son right now about this. Like, Jackson, I have been down the road that you're on. I did not do it right. And like, so I'll just tell you my experience and you get to make your own choices. And then you get to experience the natural consequences of those choices. But I'm here to guide you. I'm here to help you and give you perspective and what I know. And you're going to go through things that I'm not going to know. Then I get to learn from you. It's this opportunity to give and take. It's like parenting looks like a top-down approach, but if it's not bottom up too, like we miss so much that our kids can teach us. And it's super important. Dude, a hundred percent. So with that in mind, what is something that you've learned about yourself and being a father? I think the thing that I've learned about myself is I like to be a communicative parent. I feel like there are certain topics and certain cultural things, especially inside super conservative religion that just don't get enough airtime, even at church. And like, I don't even think church should be the vehicle. This needs to be like a home centered discussion and church supported type thing going on. So what's a home centered discussion? This is great. What would be a home centered discussion? A home centered discussion would be like discussing sexuality with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like discussing lust and discussing pornography and discussing sex and discussing masturbation and discussing all these things that I have life experience with, that they are having life experiences with and meeting them where they are and not give them this impression that like, hey, we don't do that around here. And then like, what are they supposed to do with that? Live with it. They'll just suck it in and then they don't talk to anybody. And then guess what happens? Cycle repeats itself. Now my kids are trying to figure out how to be a parent and how do I get rid of the shame? And they're in their twenties and thirties and going through this. I want to like rebel against the idea that my kids can't come to me unless it's good news. I want the bad news. Dude, that's huge. Bring me the bad news. And then how's dad going to respond? Can I trust dad with bad news as much as I could trust him with good news? We could mess up the good news too. Like celebrate the A's to such a degree that they become performance-based. You know, so it's like dads, we got to freaking pay attention to our responses. But I love that thought. Can my kid come to me with bad news? And how do I respond? What's some thoughts you have around how dad could respond to that? Well, I can tell you, I've been on both ends of the spectrum. I think there was a time where I was so insecure about what I was experiencing as an adult, that it would have been really difficult for a teenager to approach me because I was probably a little more blind, like what else could be going on other than like, what it has to do with me. So basically, I mean, it kind of came back to me being selfish, you know, like I was just and self-centered and center of the universe complex, you know, like, so it's like, I didn't think about it from that angle, but thank goodness, like I've been on in this process of revealing who I really am to the people that I love and to people who need me so that I'm a safe place to land. Mm. Like I I hope my kids think of me as like, dad was safe, dad was safe. So what does it look like to model that safety? It means I have to also be vulnerable And let my kids understand that, first of all, I will disappoint you for sure. I am not doing everything right. 
<laughs> but I am striving and I am working towards becoming better each day. That level of honesty and also revealing myself to my kids, revealing my weaknesses to my kids, I think has created this, thank goodness, dude, geez, I thought I was crazy. This relief in the room where it's like, okay, I'm approachable now. Mm. It allows kind of like sink into the idea of like, what would it be like? if, Like if dad's telling me what he just told me, does that mean that he's given me permission to tell him? Yes, 1000%. So like if we can be vulnerable with our children and let them understand like what we have lived and not act like we always got it together and we always got to hold this line, you know, that of perfection, almost this perfection, this posture of perfection, man, it's so dangerous because it's, it's not how the real world is. And then when our kids get to this place where they're like, man, I feel like my dad really had it together compared to me. Like, I hope my kids yep, never yep. see Dude, I, I love this idea of like being approachable and being open to tell your kids, like, I'm going to disappoint you. And this is kind of clicking for me a bit right now because I just recently was in this teaching and the teaching was on three types of trust, naive trust, blind trust. Maybe it was naive trust, blind trust, and then mature trust. And most of us live in this blind trust. Like I just blindly trust that my dad's always going to support me or my friend's always going to be awesome to me or whatever. And then we're like so devastated when shit falls apart. Like we're so devastated. Like how could this have happened? And the mature trust is like, I know that at some point Chad and I are going to be friends a long time and Chad's going to do something that he puts himself above me or whatever it is. Right. And I'll have this moment of, I could be like this victim of so disappointed. How could you do this to me? Or I could say, Hey, Chad's a person. I'm a person. I've let people down. Hey, you're forgiven. You apologize, forgive him, move on. I'm not carrying this. And so that's something that I'm wanting to lean into with my kids a bit more is that idea of this mature trust, which is I'm going to let you down. And that's not a bad thing. That's not necessarily bad. It's an opportunity for us to both be vulnerable. You share how you feel. I share why I messed up. And our relationship actually can become deeper as long as it wasn't. Obviously, there's things that could be done out of malice or like really yeah. misguided hurt. But but I love leaning into that. We don't have to be perfect. And if we strive for that, we're screwing our kids over. Yeah, man. Man, I had two thoughts. I don't know if I'll remember both. But one thought about what you just said that I think is so so clutch for dads is the way we model that. I think the way we model it, I don't know if there's probably more ways, but like, I think one way we model it is by not saying, sorry, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. say, like, instead choose to say something different. Like I was wrong. Say I was mm. wrong. That allows yeah. you to understand that it's like, sorry is cheap and wrong really takes a different tone and it allows yeah, that's us ownership. That's ownership for sure. Yeah, man. Think about when our kids are going through life, they're modeling in a lot of ways, at least this is how it worked for me, is I modeled my view on God after how my parents felt. Uh -huh. Yeah. There was this certain level of like, God really loves me when I'm good and he's really upset with me when I'm bad. Okay, that kind of makes sense because that's what I see. That's what I'm living. Mm -hmm. You know, we're told it differently. As humans, we're just going to like synthesize that way. At least that's how it yeah. happened for me. So, like what I no, had to get 100%. was this place of like, oh, I'm really turned around on like what I think God is for me. <laughs> and I had to fire him, bro. <laughs> like I had, to fire, <laughs> I had to fire that version of God because it, yes. was, it was limited. Mm -hmm. And I, God, 
who could just love me when I was good and just be upset with me and punish me when I was bad. And that's just kind of how God was for me for a long time. And then I got to this place where I was like, oh man, you're not just God, you're my father. He really cares about the little things. For example, I haven't really shared this with anybody, but four days before my daughter passed away, two or three days, I keep this in this little book, these flowers. I got to like laminate these things. So I'm being very gentle, but I keep these flowers in this book because they're the last thing she touched that I can hold. And I came home from the hospital and my heart was just broken and our neighbors had come and done all this yard work and they planted a bunch of flowers. But I came to my desk and here were these three-day-old wilted flowers. I remembered, she gave me those. Like she came in and that was the, that was the last time she gave me flowers. That was it. So now I have this incredible connection with flowers hmm. and I that with God. And like, hmm. you know, this might even sound a little crazy, but like, I'm so connected with flowers that sometimes I'm walking by them. <laughs> this is going to go on the internet. It's going to be awesome. But like, sometimes I feel like they're just staring at me and saying, hello. Hi. Mm. Look at me. Mm. <laughs> Dude, I love the crazy. I love it. I mean, that's connected. That is not just being in your head, but being present to life. The reality is, is life is all around us. If we choose to see the light and the life, I don't think that's crazy at all, bro. I think that that is a sign of connected. Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's crazy either. If you've never really thought about that before, you're probably gonna sit back and be like, "Huh, he feels connected to flowers." And like, yeah, bro. like I feel so connected to flowers and hummingbirds and sunsets and sunrises because like I get this moment, this opportunity just to connect for that moment and point that out to my kids and help them remember and root them back into something that they can depend on, which is the sun's going to rise and the sun's going to set and beauty is there. And you can choose to notice it and acknowledge it, or you can walk by the flower. But like we walk by the flowers and we pick them and we smell them and we like them. And this is all these things going on. It's just beautiful, man. You know, like well, dude, like- what's hitting me is the things that you just said a few minutes ago, you talked about we're on this line, right? And we kind of deviate from this line. We come back to it. But when we're on the line, we're present. And all of us are always on mission from point A to point B, whatever that looks like throughout our day. But why did God make the sunset beautiful, the sunrise beautiful, the flowers beautiful? Do those things make us pause? Mm. If we choose, they make us stop. Hey, because I mean, we watch the sunset a lot here. We'll be like, hey, everybody, it's 65, whatever sunsets happening right now. Everybody come out and everyone's like stops what they're doing and comes outside. And for this brief moment, you're all together. Time has stopped. The mission has stopped. And you're like connecting to each other. And that's the first time that hit me. As you say, the flowers, you're like connecting to them. Those are our moments, dude, to pause and be present. Yeah. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And that's part of why the journey, my transformation journey was so meaningful to me is because like I had to reconnect with what pain was and how can I leverage that pain and, and give it deeper meaning than just like, oh, my muscles are burning. Gosh, that's uncomfortable. Oh man, every rep is a connection. And it does me to be there in that moment because when you're going through pain, it's really hard to be somewhere else. You're right. just there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's what the gym is now. It's no longer a gym. It's almost like a temple. You walk in there and you're like, okay, how are we going to honor the moments? It's by staying connected in the reps. And it's just so incredibly difficult. I don't even know if it's possible to be doing really intense work and not be there. It's so hard to not be connected in those moments. And it's that same way. I just feel like everything in life, there's this outward thing happening, like face value thing happening. Mm, mm, Yeah. And it's up to us to take that and assign meaning so that there's spiritual connection to like what the outward is. I think it's a huge pattern. Like a sunset could be just a sunset or it could be a moment of presence. A rep could be just a rep. Or it could be you're building yourself into a harder to kill version, you know, whatever you want to be. Yeah, I don't know. But it's like that with literally everything. You think about like religion and, and all the different things that happens in religion. Is baptism really just baptism? Or is there a spiritual component to the baptism? Is taking the Lord's Supper, the sacrament, really just taking bread and water? Or is it actually like there's something inside that has to happen to ratify the outside. And I think that's the tug of war. You know, it's like sometimes, yeah, we're going to go and we're going to be like sunset, who cares? And not think about it at all. And like our purpose is to live like that as parents for our kids Hmm. to like really in and be like, oh, shoot, we got a disconnection in the house. Someone just yelled. How can I help them understand the moment right now? And like really bring them into that moment with me, which requires me to just stop and be like, okay, I'm in the moment. I understand. I'm not in the emotions of the problem. I get to go and bring them with me now and yes. see if I get them to connect. I think that's yes. Dudes, dudes listening right now, are you so focused on yourself that you don't even notice if there's a disconnection in the house? That's our duty, man. Our duty is to provide security boundaries and I would say opportunities for connection and belonging in our home. But to do that, we have to be present in now and not just focused on tomorrow or our own BS. So I love that if I hear this in the house, is there a disconnection? And then how do I, you physically did it, Chad. You're like, okay, let's create connection in this moment. So dude, super powerful, bro. We have 10 minutes left and we could talk for probably three hours. Is there a story or a thought that you're like, dude, I don't want to be you know, in my day later and have missed, missed this, this story or thought that I really wanted to share. Yeah, man, we were talking about it a little bit before we started, but I think there's a lot of men who are probably feeling inadequate, unworthy, and and ashamed about their role in the family and their role in their job and their role in their marriage and their role as a father. And like, I just want to give a virtual hug and tell you a story about like a time where I felt like I had a wish, like this this wish of I felt so uncut out as a dad, even after the passing of my daughter, right? There, I was still drinking the Kool-Aid on, it was amazing for like 18 months or two years. And then I got back into this old mindset of it's marriage for me. What am I doing? And, and like, I was back in it. There was a part of me that just kind of wished secretly, maybe this could just like start over. And I don't know, does that mean the divorce? I don't know, man. And I was just in this place. Dude, everything changed for me so fast because I think once we have a definite purpose in how we are living, the universe immediately starts to rearrange itself and test you and say, okay, 
wise guy. <laughs> you say you want, want to know what it's like to be single. So you want to know what it's like to be alone now. I'm going to give you a taste of what that's like. And so for me, what that looked like was sitting right here in this space. My wife and I were essentially bickering about some kind of school transportation of some kind of like, who's going to do what? This is nine days after my fifth baby, baby Dax. And we were just talking and discussing how this logistical thing was going to happen. Anyway, I hear from the other side of the phone, hey, my heart hurts. And she's in the master bedroom across the house and I'm just working. And I'm like, what? And she's like, my heart hurts. And I drop my phone right away and I go into the bedroom and it. she's very uncomfortable. Long story short. Now, I don't even know if I can say long story short because that's just my segue. <laughs> that's my segue word. But, but what <laughs> happened from there was like, she got up, she bent over. It looked like she's trying to work out a gas pain almost. And we didn't know what was happening. Within a few seconds, she bent over and then she fell across our bed and she was draped over the corner of the bed. Oh my gosh. At this point, I'm panicking for sure. And I pick her up off the corner of the bed. She is frozen, almost like rigor mortis frozen in how she was draped over the bed. And she's laying on our floor. And like, Ned, I don't say this lightly. I can all but verify my wife died that day. Died that day right in front of my eyes. I'm on the call with 911 trying to figure out when they can get an ambulance out here. She comes back. She comes back from that experience and the paramedics basically stabilize her and bring her to the hospital for an emergency surgery, which was a double bypass open heart surgery. Whoa. So I am staring down the barrel of what is it going to look like to be a widower? What is it going to look like to raise these kids alone? And what is it going to look like to raise a baby infant that's nine days old? from here on out. And my gosh, two and a half weeks, basically, I got my dose of all of it, because her mortality rate with this type of heart attack is like 30%, 30%. So I'm living this nightmare that I thought I wanted. <laughs> and dude, I didn't want it. I was like, Oh, not this way. No, 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 not this way. You know, like, I don't want it that way. So many takeaways from that experience, Ned, but basically I walked away. Once she came back home, life was very different. Obviously, when you're having to take care of a baby, like she couldn't hold the baby. There was a weight limit, 10 pounds. He was already 10 pounds. So it's like she had to live in a tube essentially and not extend her arms too far and all this stuff. It took weeks and weeks and weeks for her to recover. Thank God, literally, thank God she is she's recovered and she made it. And now I get a look backwards with my lens and I'll get her assigned value to all of that, to all of that and say, when you say, Chad, are you grateful for your marriage? Now I get it. I get to say I am grateful. And I mean it like, and I really mean it. And that doesn't mean that everything's healed and better, but dude, they're better than they ever have been. Things are way good. When I realize life is and get to like play in that space like really understanding how quick things change and how insignificant most of the stuff is that we try to make a big deal. Yeah, that's such a good statement. It's crazy. Bro, nothing matters. Nothing matters except for right now. And like, that's what people don't understand is like, we're so worried about 
the presentation next week and we got a house building and we're doing this over here and we got that over there and oh my gosh, my childhood traumas. We just don't even understand like what we have. None of that even matters when that kind of stuff happens and that's how it should always be because mm-hmm. what those things do is they rip you in to the moment now. Wow, wow, mm-hmm. yeah. Dude, I like that. They rip you into the moment. So how do you stay in that moment? I mean, obviously, it would probably be exhausting to be in that moment all the time. But how do you utilize those things? You mentioned gratitude, any other things that can help pull us into the moment at hand? I'm really like, heads down trying to study this right now, because it's really fascinating for me too, because I, I don't got it figured out. But I'm starting to develop like this framework of lenses to view life. So that I can like deploy those in scenarios that are like really stressful or really hard or maybe I need perspective and I need to like find myself really worried about what just happened or really worried about what's going to happen. I think it's just like this consciousness that we're continuing to open ourselves up. But like these lenses are not all my own, but I love this idea of the last time lens using this for last times and understanding that if this was the last time, this morning I thought about it. I was like, Chad, what if this was the last time you get a workout? What would this next rep look like? Yeah. Yeah. And then I put everything into that set, right? Uh, what if this is the last volleyball game you get to go to tonight to support your daughter? How hard are you going to cheer? Yeah. Yeah. Man. It's using that lens and understanding that like nothing's guaranteed for tomorrow. Nothing's even guaranteed after we end this moment right now. Right. Nothing right. is no guarantees, man. Like we're all in. Because we're born, we're all in and we're all gonna die. So like there's the concept of this grandpa lens, this lens of being able to transport myself and think about being a great, great grandpa, being a great grandpa. What does it feel like to look at all these kids and think about all these things and see their kids and their kids' kids and have this posterity. And maybe I'm still like listening to hip hop music and I'm still doing this and that as an old dude, you know, like just imagining what that feels like and then taking that person and bringing him back and myself and saying like, oh, how awesome is this right now? Even in the worst of times, I'm trying this. I'm literally trying to go through these exercises when I can or when I can like have the presence. Just sitting in that moment And saying, even though right now really sucks, this grandpa lens is making this perspective the best because I love this moment too. But just having that perspective of when you're a grandpa, you're going to wish you were young. But now we get to use that and live young. It's like a a hack, dude. It's pretty fun to mess with. So I, you know, there's probably a few more. I think it's that kind of stuff that you can develop little tools and understand that kind of stuff and just really lean into the discomforts and realize that they're not bad. It's data. We get to assign the meaning to the data. Mm -hmm. The data. I love that. Isn't that like how stats are anyway in data? Like you can plan whatever you want. Yeah, whatever you want. Is it good or is it bad? I mean, who cares? You can make it say whatever you want it to say. It's the same thing with your life. It's the same thing with your trauma. It's the same thing with this moment is you get to decide your choice. Dude. You decide how is it that you're going to show up in your marriage today? You get that moment and you get that last time lens with your wife. What if you leave, you go to the grocery store and that's the last time? How would you kiss and greet your wife? What would you say to her? What actions would you take and be different and more intentional? When you start doing that and start living more purposefully, I think everything starts to shift and people start to notice 
whoa, dad is ultra present. He never does this. That's crazy. And then it will eventually be not crazy. And then guess what happens with your legacy? They get to pass that on. Yeah. Yes, dude, which leads me to my last question, which is a legacy question. And that is when you are that grandfather looking into the homes of your children and your grandchildren, what is it that you want to see that would put a big old smile on your face to go, Chad was there. Chad was present. Wow. What a question. Hmm. I just see in my mind's eye this idea of just being gathered. I think there's just this. That's a good word. Being gathered together. Yeah. And to like unite and connect people maybe back to my initial comment of i love connecting to people and with people and i hope that people are so connected in that moment that they understand that they are accepted you know Mm. that they are this is safe space to be and that they get to be in that and the joy of being in that space with them and also like when things are hard being in that space with someone is a real gift as well. It's not just the gift of like, oh, things are good. It's like, no, we get to show up even when things are bad. And I hope that like my family gathering is like that. I hope it's like that. It's just like, oh, we're gathered. We're here. We're present. We're enjoying it. I don't know. Dude, I love it. That word gathered, united and connected. I mean, what else is there being present in that Chad, dude, thank you for the work that you've done. You know, somebody recently said, and it's kind of hit me is, is our trauma is either transformed or transferred. And the life that you're living is one of transformation, just to continue to progress and create good foundation for future families. And it matters, dude. It matters. My kids could marry your kids. So the way that I'm a dad, the way that you're a dad, dude, that freaking matters for our kids' futures. And so, dude, I just want to honor you and in the work that you've done, the work that you continue to do, the way that you love your wife, your kids, and, and continuously learning to love yourself and your creator. Just keep after it, bro. And I just look forward to being connected to you. I just want to give you a, a big virtual hug and thank you for the work, dude. It's incredible. It's inspiring. Thanks, man. Well, I'm inspired by your work, man. I, I got the adventures of fatherhood. I got the books, man. I'm studying, I'm learning. And, and okay. all, I'm, I actually still feel like I'm learning how to be a dad. And how awesome is that process? You know, like, Dude, I me think, too. I've actually gained so much wisdom by just listening to you on Zooms. I don't know if you knew this. And I know we're like wrapping it up, but this isn't a long thing by any means. When you shared once about one of your children that was in proximity to some abuse, this was a while ago, that got me having conversations with other dads and it changed my trajectory and it gave me like this one thing that I felt like was missing. And this is what's interesting. I went to one of my son's friend's house. I was like, oh, I don't know that friend. I want to meet his dad. And so I go. I go and meet his dad. He's not too far from me, like four blocks away. I shake his hand. I say, hey, how are you? I'm Jackson's dad. It's nice to meet you. And he's like, hey, thanks for coming over. I would have thought less if you didn't. Wow. Yes. Oh, got it. You know, like I never even thought about that. (laughs) Like I was just like, I was naturally interested in understanding him. But like, dude, that is such a good field note for dads. It's just like, Go meet other dads and let them see your face and let them look in your eye and give them the look of like, this is my everything. 
dude. Yeah, I'm here. I just need you to know that I'm here. I exist. This isn't just mom dropping my kids off to somebody's house because they all happen to go to the same Christian school together or whatever. It's like, dads, we got to be engaged in those moments. And dude, it's hard for me too. You know, it's getting easier, but to be like, all right, I'm going to make this awkward walk up. I'm going to go meet this person. And my kids are sometimes like, why are you doing this? Why are you meeting the other dads? And it's like, because it matters. Because, because we got to know we exist, you know? Yeah. What a great model. You know, what a great model. That's just like one of those things that like, oh, I don't know if my dad did that or not. I'm not sure. But like, it didn't stand out to me until you mentioned it. And I was like, yeah, good point. Good point. Like, yeah. And that's what we need, dude. Is like, that's why this is so important is like, we are able to share our field notes and go, Hey, what's working for you? Let me run this by. We all have something to give and we all have something to learn. And I think that is missing. Like a lot of us are just learning, 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 and we're not realizing that we have something to give. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Consume, consume, consume. We're not actually applying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh man. I'm glad we Dude, I love it, Chad. I loved our time together. Thank you, bro. Until next time. What an incredible conversation, my friends. I so enjoyed even that last word of gathered. Thinking about being men that gather, right? If you're going to gather, it gives this sense of like protection and you belong here and I'm here with my arms around you. I love that statement. And I want to be a father who is gathering those around me. And as I'm even saying this, the being approachable, the whole discussion around being approachable and our reaction to good news and bad news, beautiful, beautiful. Friends, we must know who we are. The world would look and feel different if men showed up in their identity to love, serve, guide, provide, and protect. And this is why I launched Adventure of Fatherhood. Go check it out, adventurefatherhood.com. You can grab the kids book, which helps the dad see who he is. You can order as a gift for a new dad. And then soon we're going to be launching an introductory to fatherhood course taught by yours truly to help fathers discover how powerful their fatherhood role is. I want to say thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, What You Do Matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned. Shout together. Let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. <laughs>